Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? You know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. So much to follow up on uh, off the last show and a very newsy update. Usually Seth comes in here and snores through his sports center. It's a Seth snore center, but (laughs) in this case, so much there. I I thought I was just going to be flipping about, do we they still weren't being called the Amazons. They had one Amazon season Mm -hmm. literally 50 years ago. They're going to be celebrating it next year. 1969, they were the Amazon Mets and everybody still calls them secondarily the Amazons. They haven't been that amazing <laughs> lately. They've been amazingly bad in uh, in recent seasons, this one in particular. Yankees stretch run, every game important uh, for them, obviously, and that one got uh, postponed uh, from a day game to a night game tonight. I'm sure they're heartbroken to uh, make the Red Sox game a night game all of a sudden uh, due to weather. And then this Corcoran story, are you kidding me? That This is where it looks like the grown-ups have let down the students and to Seth's point, maybe it won't really matter in the end, but if a kid was supposed to sit, how did everybody whiff on that or try to pull a fast one? I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they innocently forgot about it or there was it's a long some time. lack of clarification. Yeah, I mean, it, same thing happened. So Syracuse had a player disqualified in the second half of the Western Michigan game. And not everybody, including the head coach, is certain right away in the heat of the moment and the other things you got to worry about. Does the kid have to sit the first half of the next game? In this case, he does. He and uh, Evan Adams did, and you get on with your life. In in this case, but I'm sure there was also a memo from the league and ways to remind you. So nobody in section three reminded Corcoran that. Hey, if this kid was supposed to actually have a game suspension or a two game or whatever it is that uh, he needed to sit out the first game this year, and as it turns out, he plays the first two, and now they're uh, forfeited. That's a shame. I think grown ups spoil youth sports more often than they should, which is probably a topic for another time. But I was going to, you know, those guys really got it worked into a froth on the show. I was going to try to, you know, use the uh, first segment of our show, probably to kind of uh, follow up and chime in as I understand it they uh, had a premise from a caller to start if you'd like to chime in and call us you can 437 7644 ESPN44 with area code 3-1-5, of course first of all it's a silly premise like oh you know if you could just auto play the rest of the games and you won 7 and first I, I'm a fan who or an observer of sports consumer i like the games i like going through it i like the ups and downs i'm not interested in anything that just wipes off the remaining games and and gives you a result like you you can do at video games where you simulate the entire season at any rate the idea and i think the premise that steve was putting forward would be if you go on the assumption that syracuse wins this week and that's a pretty safe bet the the orange will be heavily favored against a struggling rebuilding 
UConn team. They're going to be 4-0 for the first time since 1991. Then you go to as difficult a test as anybody has in the country this year, going to Clemson, and then you get back on with your season. That's sort of the way I look at it. But the premise thrown out is if you stipulate a 4-0 start, wouldn't 6-6 six and six at that point be disappointing? First caller that I heard, I think they had more before that. First call, absolutely. Major disappointment. I'm going to go in the category of it would be mildly disappointing only because you had built the 4-0. and and 6-6 six and six is disappointing from 4-0 and to a degree. It's not disappointing from three straight years of 4-8. and eight. So if you want to go with the whole autoplay or what would you sign up for, just about everybody, if I walked up to you on August 15th and I said they're going 6-6 six and six this season, you would take it. Do you adjust expectations as you see the season play out, as you see the relative strength of the teams? Absolutely, but might be a little early here on some of these to make these predictions. I'm with Steve. I think this team has every right to be in the neighborhood of six, seven, eight wins. Um, I'm just not ready to talk about how disappointing it would be to improve your win total by two games um, off the not just last year, three years running. There's been a ceiling on this team of winning four games. The idea that you've beaten a Florida State and you have more games to play, and if this plays out the way we think, that you could maybe go to a Pittsburgh and win, that you could play Carolina and NC State at home and win those games as handily as you beat Florida State, that, to me, is going to suggest a turning of the corner, and then you've got still the final uh, quarter of the season to play. So we'll see how that goes off. The only argument I can make really in support of the way Steve is looking at it is the concept of strike while the iron's hot, that you need everything to line up the right way for this to be your season where you might win in the neighborhood of eight, nine, ten games, get to you know, get to a bowl and maybe win a tenth or or whatever. Then that might be in the offing too. We might look back and say this is when it all sort of clicked and it was the opening of the door to really great things. You know, Wake Forest and UConn come to mind recently where the stars aligned for them. They had tremendous seasons. They weren't actually better program. You know, they weren't sustained. And uh, that is what really remains to to be seen. That is what's going to mark true progress is when you can get uh, to a hump and beyond it. And, you know, Florida State and Clemson in the division are still pretty much at a different level, but if then you're in, you're competitive and you're winning, you know, the, you know the games you should against everybody else in the division. Now you got something. This is where I, I'm stuck on this whole. When you just said it, the games you should off of three straight four and eight seasons. I I don't think that, you want the program to turn the corner. Yes, but. They haven't turned the corner yet where there are games that you can look at and say they should win. Not yet. You Not know? yet. There's some that look pretty good. Yeah. And, you know, let's 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 play it out. I think Clemson and Notre Dame are the only two games the rest of the way where I'm positive the other team has better talent. That's good. That's a step yeah. in the right direction, right? So, uh that makes all the other all the other games, and I've said all along from the summer, this team will be competitive in maybe every game, but certainly virtually every game it 
plays this year. It's not going to get dusted uh, like we've seen over the you know here and there in recent years. Uh, they're going to be right there. It's going to come down to how well they play head to head in the most important games of the year. And for me, right now, the most important games of the year. And this is after. You know, our outlook obviously this week would be different had they not won and won handily on Saturday against Florida State, but they did win. And they likely will be 4 0. And so the significance of that win over FSU is it now puts these quote unquote toss up games into the spotlight. That stretch of Pittsburgh, North Carolina, NC State. So you go on the road to a not super intimidating road environment at Heinz Field and come back to -to back-to-back home games, one against a team that didn't have a really good season last year that's going to have suspended players, that's already off to a slow start in Carolina. That, to me, is the crux of the season right there, that three-game stretch. You win two of those three games, you are in business. Then then right there, you've got your six, and beyond that, now you're in bowl eligibility and you're working your way up the bowl ladder, etc., Back to Steve's point, any disappointment at that point would be born out of, you know, if you start six and one, okay, well, yeah, the disappointment would be that you you didn't, um, you know, escalate. But let's see how that plays out. So much of it, obviously, is a function of the way the schedule falls and and uh, and those good things. I think this is a, a program that of late has, for the most part, done a good job with winning the games you're supposed to win. There just haven't been that many where they line up and clearly are superior or clearly should win based on the rosters. Mostly because Syracuse at the end of the year hasn't even been a, a hasn't been itself. It's been a shell of itself uh at the end of of the last two seasons for sure. Really the last three they just happened to uh eke one out against BC at the end of 2015 in, in Scott Schaefer's last game. The only game last year that they should have won and didn't was Middle Tennessee. And uh, if they go the rest of the way and quote-unquote win the ones they should win, well, that'll get them to a bowl game. You know, does that mean there are enough of those that you're a slam dunk to get to seven, eight, nine wins? I don't know, but uh, like the chance to say. I do want to clear up before we get further. We'd love to take your calls on that. 315-437-7644. 315-4ESPN44. It's amazing that this is still a thing. Um, I've said in time and again that when this has come up, I feel like, and I'll accept responsibility. I hope you notice that when I feel like I'm admonishing or correcting the fans, I take responsibility too because I feel like it's my job to help you understand and to help share the message and to answer your questions or whatever. I feel like we've done a very poor job in messaging or educating related to uh, the schedule, these games that went to MetLife or that were in MetLife and the Notre Dame and all that. So we we did address it on the previous show with uh, Steve and with Seth. Scooter called in and, and made a remark about Notre Dame and why is Notre Dame playing at Wake if they never uh, were willing to come to Syracuse. It's a different animal now, Scooter. That contract with uh, that Notre Dame has with the ACC to play five ACC teams a year didn't exist when Syracuse was playing Notre Dame and had those games at MetLife in 14 and 16. That's among the reasons that those games were MetLife. Also was the ability to sell more tickets, the $5 million guarantee, etc. from uh, from MetLife and, and for those games. Notre Dame now is contractually obligated to 
play ACC teams and operate almost like a, a member of the conference schedule. That means they'll go on the road to all the ACC teams in a rotation. The games that they'll play at Syracuse are on the books. They will be coming to the Carrier Dome. Um, this is the first era where that now is the case. Uh, that was not in place in 14 and 16. So it just so happens that they're going to Wake Forest is because Wake Forest is further up in the rotation where Notre Dame is going through to play those games. Wake has already been to South Bend. The Syracuse-Notre Dame game this year was Notre Dame's home game. They elected to move it to Yankee Stadium. 315-437-7644. If you'd like to join us on the show, Stephen North Syracuse first up today. Yeah, um, you made a comparison in your little visit to the previous program to a, to a mutual fund. Uh, and you I, that's it, dangerous for me, Steve. I'm not a shrewd uh, financial investor. Uh, neither am I. I leave that to the experts. But uh, the comparison you said is that if over 10 years, a mutual fund had averaged 5%. In the first two quarters, it was 10%. What do you think is going to happen next? Uh, what you're describing is called regression to the mean. And, uh, uh, well, it's true that there's a sort of uh, pecking order of, uh, of college football. The fact is you change the roster each year, and each team has to establish what its own mean is. Uh, I think winning the first four games would establish that this team has a higher mean, a higher average than than, than previous teams. Uh, on the other hand, those first four games are arguably, along with maybe North Carolina, the four weakest teams of the schedule. Uh, and if we were to go four and zero and wind up six and six with six losses in the last eight games, uh, not only would there be a feeling of the ball rolling back down the hill. But I think it would be argued that those first four games were deceiving because we were not playing good opposition in those games. And uh, I think this team, to prove itself, needs to do well in the last eight games. Now, what is well? I would say they should at least split them, which would get us an eight and four record. And I think they have the potential to to do better than that. So I think we've reached the point where, uh, assuming we beat Connecticut six and six. Uh, would be a disappointing result. Yeah, I hear where you're coming from, and I think I'm in the category of viewing that as mildly disappointing as to overwhelmingly disappointing. Sure. Um, It's not a disaster. No, and again, because you have to look at, uh, you know, now I I can make the argument either way, but I think you also have to look over the long haul where it's been a minute since there's been a bowl game, and you'd have a bowl game this year. The the four and eight, three years running. The uh, the first it'd be a first bowl game for the new administration. You know, the new coach, the new athletic director, et cetera. So it would mark a turning in the right direction. Is it going as far or as fast in the right direction? I think that would be uh, up for debate and up for question. I, I agree with this. You know, to me, we're so early in the year that I think all of this uh, still remains to be uh, worked out, and I do. Uh, Appreciate the call. To Steve's point, when you talk about each team as its new thing and sort of sets a new target, he used the expression, the, the new mean, uh, based on who they are, well, why wouldn't you think if you have a four-year starting quarterback and a s- strong defensive tackle, and you know your best players right now is a lot of good senior players on this team, Antoine Cordy, et cetera, yes, there's uh, newcomers that are doing important things too. That it was t- to click, and that there maybe should be more of a jump 
uh, based on that, that it's not, this isn't so much a continuation of the last uh, two or three years, because to Steve's point, you absolutely would feel if this becomes the fourth year in a row where Syracuse, uh, let's see, I'm sorry, fifth year in a row where Syracuse isn't competitive in the uh, last third of the season, you know, mid-October on, of course that would feel like the ball rolling back down the hill. Uh, so I can I can come around certainly to that viewpoint. I, I just the the caveat that I have is when you've been four and eight three years in a row. Um, I don't think you can be in the business of uh, poo-pooing six-win seasons and bowl trips. So uh, I guess that's kind of the where I would stand on that. Two and four of the past two seasons to start the year and did not. In the past two years, they played top twenty-five teams in the first four games of the season. So that may be the difference as of right now. They played a number thirteen Louisville and uh, uh, LSU yeah, was ranked true. last year. So yeah, I mean the starting schedule the last couple of years has been more significant. You know, in twenty fifteen, the last three and zero start, the fourth game was LSU in the Dome, which actually was a much closer score than you might think when you know how many NFL players were on that field in purple and gold on that day. Leonard Fournette had a huge game. Uh, Tredavious White, the defensive back for the Bills, ran back a punt in that game. Uh, and, you know, that wasn't followed up. I, the, the thing I would be looking at right now is that I think this team versus this schedule you're better suited to follow up a decent start or a good win than uh, we have seen in recent years. Last year's team beat Clemson, and I wasn't surprised, although the next two games were close, Miami and and Florida State on the road. It was not a huge surprise that they didn't follow that up. You know, the previous year, the win against Virginia Tech, there was a win the following week at BC, but uh, then the end of the year, you're playing division opponents and the crossover game at Pittsburgh, two of those on the road, no wins in four games. Um, that, again, not a tremendous surprise. This year, we shall see how it plays out. Cam Lynch will join us on the show. Uh, his Bucks off to a uh, 2-0 start and... We will ask him kind of the same thing. And, you know, football people are wired to look at one game at a time and be boring about that type of um, mindset and outlook. They don't get like us out at, ahead of ourselves. And I'll be interested to see what he thinks because they'll have a quarterback uh, issue to deal with coming up. And uh, does he think that he changes the team's uh, expectations with the Bucks off to uh, a somewhat surprising Two and zero start. His thoughts on Syracuse from afar as well. Your calls always welcome at four, ESPN forty four. We are in the booth on ESPN Radio. This is in the booth with Matt Park. In the booth on in Syracuse and Utica today. Good to have Utica jumping on board this week. You can join us by phone at any time three one five four three seven seven six four four. That's three one five four ESPN forty four. Show brought to you by. The Marriott Syracuse downtown. We're pleased to welcome in Cam Lynch again for his regular spot. The Bucks off to a two and zero start. Cam, last week you talked to us about taking on the defending 
uh, world champion Philadelphia Eagles, and those Bucks got a W at Raymond James. Yeah, great weekend for football, especially Q's football. It was awesome to watch. You know, being here in Florida, watching those Florida State fans be uh, be pretty upset. So watching them on, you know, the Q's on Saturday, then you know, taking the energy and going out on Sunday, just using that same mentality, man. Just you know, they people they count they count against you, man. They stack all the chips against you, so. Uh, I was going out beating the Eagles, the defending Super Bowl champs. Like, what a day! That's no picnic in your home opener. You'd love to get a win. You're, uh, you know, bringing everybody out and the the big pomp and circumstance behind your first home game. But to welcome in Philadelphia is a difficult task. It had to be super fulfilling to have pulled out a win there after a road win in Week One. Yes, it was. It was awesome. The heat index was at like one hundred five, one ten. I know it was hot in the dome as well. So. Uh, we, we pretty much cooked any team that we played against this weekend, man, Q's and the Bucks. So uh, <laughs> it was a great weekend. Well, it looks like uh, the Eagles are going to switch to Carson Wentz this week. You guys have the uh, Steelers this week, and uh, that's a, a Monday night game. Uh, what's it like to head out on that field on Monday night? Have you done that before? You must have. Yes, I, I've done that before. You know, going on my fourth year, it's pretty awesome. I watched a Monday night football game last night as well, and just just to hear that sound, to have that feeling, is pretty awesome. But at the same time, it's, it's like another game. You prepare for it. Uh, and you go into it with much intensity, much preparation, and, and you pray for the best at the end of the week. So, um, you know, just just like, you know, Chiefs is going to prepare this week, we're going to prepare the same and, um, and just get ready to go. You know, we'll get back to a couple of Syracuse items for Cam Lynch here in a moment. I'm curious about playing the Steelers where you see how much dysfunction they're going through. Le'Veon Bell still has not reported. Antonio Brown is going back and forth uh, with either a current or former staffer and uh, seems like some discord there in the the Steelers camp, and they're off to a slow start despite putting up some points. Yeah, I mean, you know, no matter what they have going on in their camp, at the end of the day, those are are world-class athletes, elite athletes. So if they want to argue on, you know, on Tuesday, just know on Sunday they're going to be out there ready to play. So, uh, you know, whether they're in an argument or not, they're going to be lined up against us, and we have to beat, we have to beat them. Okay, I want to have you weigh in from a football player's perspective, and you do it for a living now, on really the talk that we're having around here today about Syracuse's season. So uh, with the win against Florida State, which is great, the Orange are 3-0. and They'll be favored against uh, Connecticut by a lot this weekend, so have every reason to think that they'll be 4-0. and Your team's 2-0. and Ryan Fitzpatrick has been awesome. And, you know, I know they're going to have a decision to make about the quarterback going forward, and we can discuss that next week maybe. But do players, coaches, teams adjust their outlook over the course of the season in terms of what the expectations are? In other words, do you feel like the Bucks, whatever you thought your ending point of the season was going to be before it started, do you think it's different now that you're 2-0? and uh, Whatever Syracuse would have judged as a successful season in August – do they change that after getting off to a good start? Uh, well, in, in college football, and in the NFL, you never know, right? They say NFL is a week-to-week league. Um, so every day we had to prepare as if you know, we, were, we won the week before, right? We prepared hard for the Eagles, and we prepared hard for the Steelers. And the next week, they do the same thing. Um, and sometimes you want to get ahead of yourself, like, oh, like, we're going to go to the playoffs. Or, you know, he's like, oh, we're going to be in the playoffs as well. And – you never know how the rest of the season is going to go. So you pray for great health for both quarterbacks, for Dungy, for Fitzpatrick, for Jameis, and whoever that he wants to step in. But you pray for great health. 
you take one game at a time and see where you get. If you shoot too far ahead, uh, and that's where, that's where you get in trouble. That's where you get in trouble. So I'll say one game, one game at a time approach uh, for both teams, and you pray for great health on both sides of the ball. From a Syracuse perspective, so far so good. The health has been uh, key, and we have every expectation to think that uh, Eric Dungey will be right back there uh, for this coming weekend. But with the quarterback situation here so far, it's kind of been displayed, at least it was in Game 3 against Florida State, just what we sort of thought in the preseason, which is if Eric does falter, and inevitably he's going to miss some time because very few quarterbacks take every snap, that with the backup quarterback, you're in better hands here than in in recent memory. And Tommy DeVito goes in to start the second half uh, Saturday, and very shortly thereafter, he leads uh, back-to-back touchdown drives. What type of confidence does that give a team? And you're, you're living it right now where the backup quarterback has been as good as anybody in the league through two games. Yes, having depth is, depth is awesome, right? If there's always that question, what if? Like, what now? What, like, what if? What if this happens? Well, I have a great backup. I have somebody who I can count on to, to, to step up and lead our team. So the fact that we have, that we have two ballers that, you know, at the quarterback position, actually three with Ryan Griffin, we have great backups, so there's this complete confidence in what we do, and even the backups can support the starters as well. Um, so, you know, at Q, we have to make sure all the backups are ready to go over there, and we have to make sure that everybody's ready to go in on the same page. So if Dungy goes down, you know, knock on wood, and we're praying, like I said, praying for the best health, but, you know, the next man up in the time is going to have to take place. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a definite confidence booster. And it is just nice to know that you have security in your team and what you what you have going. Former Orange linebacker Cam Lynch, now the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, is our guest. The Qs and UConn in the Dome Saturday, 4 o'clock. And Cam, you talked about uh, seeing some of those FSU people uh, down in and around uh, Florida and obviously disappointed uh, with their 1-2 and two start, their 0-2 in the conference. Uh, one of the things that uh, Syracuse has going well for it would be on your side of the ball, they're getting a lot of takeaways right now. Another interception uh, this time from Chris Frederick uh, off a adjustment right prior to the snap. A lot of heat on the quarterback Saturday against FSU. And, and right now uh, the Orange are plus four in turnover margin through three games. That's being plus four or being plus in turnover margin is vital to winning a game. That's, that's, that, it, it almost directly correlates to getting a win or a loss. If you're up, If you're up one or two turnovers in any game, you're almost bound to win. There's like a high, like an 80% chance if you're plus two over the other team that you're, that you there's a high possibility of you winning. So I think if, if we continue getting turnovers, same over here at the Bucks, we can continue getting turnovers on defense, that puts the ball in the playmakers' hands. They can go make plays. Fifth Magic and Eric Dungey. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to, to what Hughes has to offer, man. It seems like the defense is stepping up, and it, it's, pretty, it's been pretty great to watch. Four sacks last week. That uh, creates a lot of havoc and, and does some good things there. We'll, we'll give you the final word since you mentioned Fitzmagic. We're going to touch on it here quickly. How about Minka Fitzpatrick sneaking in and trying to uh, steal the trademark on Fitzmagic? Didn't you see that? Yeah, I, I saw that. Um, you know, <laughs> trademark or whatever. Um, you know, I know it, it was, it's the cornerback from, from Miami, correct? Yeah, the Alabama and yep, now with Miami. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, if, if it's a trademark and if it was already established, you know, let, let that be it. But, uh, you know, let, let the old man shine, man. Let Fitzpatrick <laughs> do his thing and let the Fitzmagic roll. It was pretty cool, this post-game press conference. He came out with uh, 
Jackson's Deshaun Jackson's gear and uh, the Conor McGregor look and the big medallion and the chest hair, and he was letting it, letting it all fly there. Interesting stuff. You, you must be having a blast. Yeah, he's having a blast, man. Having the time of his life, and we just pray that this train keeps going, man, and praying for big help for uh, for Ryan and let the ball roll. All right, good stuff, Cam. Uh, good luck this week against the Steelers, who uh, have to be foaming at the mouth in their case to. Uh, to get a road win and get any win so far this year off to a, a bit of a stumble as they tied in the first week and, and lost last week. You guys 2-0, and oh, and uh, good luck making it three. Thank you. Thank you. Much love. That's Cam Lynch of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Joins us uh, every Tuesday. We get his unique perspective on football, both college and pro. Good week for former Orange in the NFL. We touched base uh, yesterday with Donovan Darius, former Jaguar, as uh, they got to 2-0. and oh, under Doug Marone here at the start of the year. Do your uh, your crew there, probably the Steelers, take on Cam Lynch's box if they can get everybody yeah. lined up right. I was curious week. what that's like, not knowing if the star player is going to be there or not, how they prep for that. Like, yeah. yeah, well, Bell's not just going to all of a sudden show up, it doesn't sound like, and yeah. Antonio Brown's the, the next one that's <laughs> getting cranky. When we come back, we'll do Do We Care with Tommy's batch of uh, stories du jour. Take more of your phone calls if you'd like at four four uh, sorry four three seven seven six four four. That's four ESPN forty four. Brought to you by Marriott Syracuse Downtown. This is in the booth on ESPN Radio. This is in the booth with Matt Park. Back in the booth on ESPN Radio. You can join us by phone at four ESPN forty four. Now, Tommy, do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No way. The other thing. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Don't care no more. Bell Hall of Famers, led by Eric Dickerson, are threatening to not attend the induction ceremonies going forward until they receive health insurance and an annual salary that includes a share of the league's revenue. Yeah, Torrin, I heard about this uh, earlier today, and I, I think I'm with Daniel Baldwin. I don't feel too sorry for the Hall of Famers. I And I don't know enough about exactly what the rank and file NFL players do get, but it's probably not enough. And if the NFL Hall of Famers are threatening to boycott for the betterment of all, great. If they're boycotting for the benefit of the Hall of Famers getting another salary, um, most of these guys, not all, most of these guys are pretty well taken care of. They have all kinds of revenue sources that come to you once you are a Hall of Famer, et cetera. Um, I, I don't, I don't weep for Eric Dickerson. I, I weep for the Chris Gedneys of the world and the other guys that had uh, five, six, seven years in, but weren't Pro Bowlers, uh, not household names, did not make ridiculous money. Um, the NFL will probably. You know, the NFL obviously needs to do more and needs to do a better job of distributing the huge windfalls that come in to take care of these players that risk life and limb. But the Hall of Fame group alone is a select core, and if the NFL doesn't really want to pay, well, they'll just change the presentation of the Hall of Fame. What do they care if Eric Dickerson is sitting there? I mean, it's obviously better if he is, but they'll life will go on uh, without him. So the idea of an annual salary? No. There's no annual salary for being a Hall of Famer. Uh, health insurance for people that need it, let's take care of that first. 
It is just for Hall of Famers that they are yeah, that they're doing it stop, for. Stop. Yeah. He, uh, Eric Dickerson's worth ten million. I checked. Uh, yeah. I checked. Joe Namath. He's worth eight million. Yeah. You know, Jerry Kramer probably isn't rolling in it. And you know some of these other guys that played longer ago when the salaries weren't uh, ridiculous. You know, like they are now. And the Hall of Famers are the point one percent that ever suited up. They obviously have achieved at a high level. They also had longer careers. They were paid. You know. So the the idea of protecting them is more of a rich get richer type thing. And that's not to say that every guy, I'm sure Floyd Little, you know, the uh, I think he might be the only Hall of Famer we know uh, personally. Floyd Little would love to have a di- you know, additional salary and additional coverage, but I I have a harder time uh bleeding for the 300 Hall of Famers than I do for the overwhelming majority of players who probably deserve a better deal. In the letter that they wrote to the NFL, they said to build this game, we sacrificed our bodies in many cases, and despite the fact that we were led to believe otherwise, we sacrificed our minds. We believe we deserve more. We write to demand two things, health insurance and annual salary for all Hall of Famers that includes a share of league revenue. So they, they've they had a, a lot of Hall of Famers sign on to this letter and give an endorsement to this letter and are, are working to do just that. Yeah, I think it's a cat and mouse thing, too. Because the pot is so big, the perception is that the NFL is awash in ridiculous cash. They're all saying, hey, we want our piece of it. You know, that's really what they're after. Give me a break. When you're talking about uh, annual salary and a percentage of the revenue that's coming in, well, it's because there's a lot. But Eric Dickerson, God love him. I love watching him You know, when I was a kid. Eric Dickerson isn't doing anything that is making the millions now for everybody in the billions. I mean, they're... The, the league is what it is now, not because of any one player and certainly not because of any of these guys that played in the, the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And I know you, So I know you mentioned it to Cam Lynch, but Minka Fitzpatrick, the Miami Dolphins defensive back, has decided to trademark Fitzmagic. And when, when you think of Fitzmagic, Minka Fitzpatrick is definitely not the player you think of. I don't. Uh, I don't know if that's a quick uh, money grab or his agent just decided to get it in ahead of uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's agent. Uh, if if they did, good thinking. So we'll, yeah. So we'll be back. We'll get back to the calls uh, as we continue. Tommy, thank you. Scooter, no hold on. Scooter's on the line. Oh, we'll do Scooter now. Yeah. 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 No, we'll take the break. Come that's back to that, Scooter. That would be the sign for break, yes, right? Yeah. So why did do? Is it relevant that Scooter's on the line? I was now, just or? letting him know to hold on. Okay, Scooter, He's, hold on. <laughs> To anybody else, do you really care that Scooter is the caller? He's very important. He is. Well, it's he, at least his second call in an hour. Out, you called him out publicly. I didn't call him out. I'm just here to answer his, his question. Okay. But what well, I'm saying, I mean, to to the only thing I'm calling you out for, Scooter, is I don't think you're worthy of being teased like any other <laughs> caller. Like, you know, if Frank, Bob, Jim, Joe, Sally, nobody needs to know which caller is going to okay. be next when we come well, back. Well, if you're on the line, please hold. We'll be back. Thank after. you, Scooter, otherwise. Let's see if he holds. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Back in the booth, a couple more minutes on the show today. Back tomorrow with Adam Terry in his regular spot on a Wednesday. We'll have Randy Etzel, the UConn coach, former uh, Syracuse quarterback, GA, and assistant coach later this week. Joe Morris, the talk of the week, his uniform number to be honored on Saturday at the Dome. Now say it with me, folks. Who was waiting through the break? There was a caller. It was Scooter. Welcome to the show, Scooter. Thank you for your patience. Hey, man. How you doing? Good, bud. Uh, a couple of things. I heard you guys talk about how uh, the Notre Dame game wasn't a sellout. Two things. A, 
uh, Syracuse felt pri- uh, priced the game from the market. The single game tickets were fifty dollars. I think they're trying to thought the alumni from Notre Dame were going to show up in hordes, and basically, I think they're trying to take advantage of that. Also, there was a massive snowstorm that Friday night. I never had to shovel out for an SU football game. The, g- the game was actually December sixth. It wasn't even. It was one of the latest dates I ever went to a football game with. So, I, so I think I heard the walk-up crowd, and plus there was two so-so teams playing. The thing, the thing I was wondering, Matt, and this is where the confusing part. You kept hearing that Notre Dame wasn't going to come to Syracuse. That's why the games are moved to the Meadowlands because because of either reasons because the stadium is too small or whatever. But yet, if you go back and look four years ago, I think they did play at Wake Forest four years ago. And my my question was, if you're if you're going to go play in a thirty-two thousand seat arena, then why would you even consider that playing at Syracuse because it's forty-eight thousand? No, you're right. That and uh, good recollection. I'm glad you called because we've we've touched base on this a couple of times uh, since your call uh, to right. the, the previous show. Uh, first of all, that's very good recollection that that game uh, in 2003 was December 6th, which uh, that's usually the what now is known as Championship Weekend in all these leagues that that have the championship game, including the ACC. So you don't play games that late. It was an historic game, and let's. I'm the first to sort of point out it wasn't a sellout, but it was a legit crowd. Okay, 48 and change. There were a couple other games, uh, you know, really no other games that year where Syracuse drew in that neighborhood. So it's as good a recent draw as there's been. I don't want to make it sound like it was a a subpar crowd, but it was not the crowd you could get at MetLife. The the answer to your question about why the difference, those games that Syracuse played with were scheduled in a time where Notre Dame was not compelled to come to play at the Carrier Dome. They did you know the the one o three games the only time. Now they have no choice. Now they're contractually obligated to play these ACC teams. That was not the case when the schedule was made for the fourteen and sixteen games at MetLife. So the reason they're going to go to Wake Forest and whatever everybody's on a rotation and Syracuse is on that now. They'll they'll go to Virginia Tech. They'll go to NC State. They have you know some of these games in in recent memory. And so they're going to hit every team in the ACC now because they can't say no. Now, did the contract start last year? Because 2016, that was on the schedule for Syracuse to basically play the MetLife of uh, Notre Dame two years uh, in between. That's the thing I wasn't I was confused Well, I at. think, you know, that game was, I don't know what year that schedule was actually made. I mean, there was a, a whole campaign to have those games uh, be in MetLife, you know, scheduled three, four. Uh, there are all these games are scheduled three, four, five years out. So I don't know the exact date of when uh, that was done, but I know it was done in an era where, you know, Notre Dame needed to have its arm twisted a little harder before it was going to come play here. Right. Now you don't have to twist the arm quite like that because they've agreed to play five ACC games a year, basically. So that uh, you can look it up. Well, I'll have it for tomorrow's show or I'll tweet it out. But everybody's going to get Notre Dame in their building now in the conference. All right, Scooter, thank you. Thanks, Matt. Thank All right, you. we'll talk to you uh, later in the week. If you'd like, you can call us tomorrow, folks. Anybody that wants to chime in with your questions and comments, all Welcome on tomorrow's show. We'll be back at uh, 2 o'clock with Adam Terry. Adam uh, might have a UConn-related guest tomorrow, so we'll keep that uh, up our sleeve here for a little bit. Then we got the Dino Babers show uh, Thursday night. Should be another big crowd uh, for that later this week over at Press Room Pub. For Polly and Tommy, I'm Matt. So long.